You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Many times people make a career transition after thinking about it for a while, and sometimes it's a big challenge to make a career transition and change from one profession to another. So we want to inspire people, and I picked people, and my good friend Tony Mariano helped me get one of the excellent panelists um, for this panel, which we're also going to podcast, so you'll be able to listen and share it with family and friends and neighbors later. And um, I'm going to introduce the panelists in just a moment. Um, first, I'm going to read something from the book, The Episodic Career, which, by the way, we have at the library. And the author was at the library recently. And I thought this was a really interesting quote by the Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. The way you support yourself can be an expression of your deepest self, or it can be a source of suffering for you and others. So hopefully we will all be an expression, our work will be an expression of our deepest selves, and I think we'll get some inspiration from our panelists. Um, Sometimes when we decide to make a career change, we need further education or training, and we have to figure out about how to afford that. And the educational, the Maryland Educational Opportunity Center is a very good resource for college admissions, financial aid, career planning, and GED preparation. And tonight we have Lynn Drummond and Jonathan Mangum from the EOC um, who are gonna just say a few words about the EOC. people in the county, and the way I like to explain to people is that 
my colleagues and I like high school guy, I like guidance counselors for adults. You know, when you went to your guidance counselor and wanted to figure out what you want to do when you grow up, folks come to us and we can help them do their educational planning that they need uh, to pursue their, their goals and dreams. That can come in the form of post-secondary planning, such as college, apprenticeships, trade schools, whatever it is that, that um, they, they need to make that happen. I've had two interesting cases over the last year and a half. One, one woman who was very much an adult indicated she wanted to be a dog groomer. So I said, I'll tell you what, let me research that for you. And I had another one who wanted to do stained windows. And so I use that as an example to show you that, uh, you know, again, it's, it's whatever they want. By the way, to answer your question is that, I found out that there was some training for it, but you know, I put her down with a, a local dog grooming outfit that had apprenticeship. And same thing with the uh, stained window person, the place on beauty stage, teach you how to do stained windows. Uh, the GED component, since I thrust through the title, uh, is it four or five men? Came in 65 with Johnson. That, that was the whole thrust of TRIO program. We're part of the TRIO family. Uh, but, and, the, and the thrust was post-secondary planning, but we also um, do GED counseling and referrals because obviously if you don't have your secondary education, you cannot um, pursue post-secondary education. So is there anything pertinent that uh, you feel I need to add? I think it gives you a general, hopefully it gives you a general idea of who we are and what we do. Thank you very much. Okay, by the last, I would say is that if you know someone who needs services, we have our brochures there. They can pick them up, pick them up, give us a call, and we'll be of service to them. Thanks. Thank you. And also pick up information about the Business Center at Ina Pratt, the Job and Career Information Center, and the new mobile job unit. <coughs> okay, I'm going to introduce our speakers. Kevin Hatcher went from Program Administrator at Maryland Health and Mental Hygiene to Licensed Massage Therapist. He retired <coughs> early to practice massage therapy full-time. Leslie Howard, Esquire, went from Bethlehem Steelworker to Attorney at Law. Dr. Akuna Ihanacho transitioned from being a public school teacher to a biomedical scientist. Learn more about how she reinvented herself by developing new skills. She holds degrees in biology, chemistry, and cellular and molecular physiology. Brenda Lake went from sales associate at Cricket Wireless to sales coordinator slash assistant to the director, district director, to Sherwin-Williams, part-time district coordinator, then assistant manager, then to her current role in human resources as the recruitment coordinator. Dr. Mary Washington is a statistician, professor, and Maryland State Delegate. <coughs> and we have some questions that each of the panelists are going to answer. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, my name is Kevin Hatcher. 
Um, and I was a uh, program administrator uh, for the state of Maryland for about 30 years, 32 to be exact. Um, and I spent 25 years working in public health, um, did, a, did some creative things, uh, worked a lot with communities in terms of um, initiating the HIV programs for adults and adolescents as well as um, uh, kids who were in the uh, juvenile detention system, develop programs and, and activities for them. Um, and also hosted a radio show for six years uh, when I worked for the state. It was called the Healthy Life Show. Um, and I got a chance to meet a lot of people, not only here, but all throughout the country, talking about many different issues of health, uh, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension. So um, it was very, very informative. But it really wasn't, even though I was doing all of those things, about 2000, I decided that I wanted to do something to make a greater impact. So I decided to go back to school to be a, I decided to go to school to be a massage therapist. So I worked during the day and I went to school in the evening. And massage therapy is all anatomy and physiology. So when you're doing public health all day and then you're doing anatomy and physiology all evening, it kind of wears you down. But after a year and a half, I was able to make it and um, went and um, became licensed by the state of Maryland as a licensed therapist. Um, Gene, as a matter of fact, was one of my colleagues at one of the um, offices I worked in. Um, but I decided in 2014 to pursue being a massage therapist more regularly. I had worked for 32 years for the state. and. Um, I'll just be transparent and say, when you find out that you can make just as much money pursuing what you want as you do working full time, I don't think that's too difficult of a choice. <laughs> um, so I decided to um, retire from the state and um, pursue what I really wanted to do, which was massage therapy. I think I'd just like to say about massage therapy, there's some misnomers about it. Um, People think that all we do is, you know, is something that you, we do, you get in order to pamper yourself. But that's not what I do. I do what's called myoskeletal therapy, which is I try to help people reduce pain during their waking hours. In other words, about 80 to 85 percent of my clients are either injured, ill, or stressed out, or all three. <laughs> so um, it, it, it is. It's challenging, but it's also rewarding because massage is part, it's mostly therapy, but it's also part art. I get a chance to freelance and do and try things that um, are a little bit outside of the box, but it's like putting together a puzzle to figure out what's going on with someone's body. Um, I guess the obstacles that I had uh, in overcoming um, in this profession was, I'm an African-American male, and I'm in a female-dominated profession. That presents some unique challenges. Number one, um, there's, there's very few people that look like me. When I started, my role models were, yeah, that's right, there was nobody, it was me. <laughs> so anything I've done 
I kind of have to do through prayer and meditation and, and just learning and reading and, and doing things on my own. But the, one of the things I promised myself is that if I ever really achieve my dream because it's still ongoing, as I go, I give back to everybody I come in contact with. I think that's really important so that you sow seeds for the next one. I promise you now, I'm going to go real quick here. Um, what it, the thing that influences me is a desire to see people to live optimal, to have an optimal, healthy lifestyle. So that's what I'm really focused on, is helping people to live healthy and live well. Um, because of my background in public health, um, as an educator and also as a radio host and a community liaison, I was able to transfer those skills into what I do. And then finally, um, I guess I have two pieces of advice real quick. Number one is that I've learned, um, and, and I also do wellness consulting with um, some businesses around the area. Number one is that if you really have something you want to do, do it. What I've learned is that people spend 50% of their lives doing things that are urgent, but not important. And so I think that if you really have something you want to do, do it, because all too soon, your time is going to be up. Well, you have achieved everything you want. And the second thing, I just want to leave you a quote from C.S. Lewis. You're never too old to set another goal or dream a new dream. Thank you. My name is Leslie Howard. Uh, I'm an attorney at law. Uh, what that means is that uh, I am licensed by the state of Maryland to take on private uh, clients in both criminal and civil, civil procedures uh, throughout the courts of Maryland. But I'm also admitted to practice before the federal bar here in the state of Maryland as well. So I can do federal cases as well as uh, state cases civil cases as well as criminal cases. <clears throat> I um, have been in a private practice for the past 20 years, uh, and I feel blessed to be able to be uh, self-employed and to be able to uh, develop a successful law practice. I didn't always start off as a lawyer. Uh, actually, uh, I grew up not too far from here on Greenmountain 22nd Street, and uh, my first job was as a laborer at Bethlehem Steel in the old Sprouts Point plant. So you can see uh, life has not always been a crystal stair in the words of Langston Hughes, but there have been some bumps and bruises along the way. Um, for me, education was always the key. Um, my parents were um, my inspiration. Um, even though neither one of them actually had a high school education, they always stressed the importance of education in my family. Um, and particularly for me, because I was also born with a birth defect, although it might not be obvious to you all, I was born with a condition called amyopia, which is also known as blindness in one eye. So the old adage about blind in one eye and can't see out the other actually applies to my situation. <laughs> and when I was a youngster, um, the optometrist uh, at the Wilmer Eye Clinic told my parents that I would probably be blind before I became an adult. But we were fortunate and we ran into an uh, ophthalmologist who also 
thought outside the box and they said, well, let's put glasses on them anyway, they can't do any harm. And as they say, the rest is history. I never thought of myself as being disabled. And every time I was confronted with a challenge in life, uh, whether it be through sight or whatever the case might be, I always try to find a way to either work around it, work through it, or work over it. And um, that's the advice that I would give to you all is that never uh, be deterred. If you have a goal or a dream or ambition, just keep plugging your way. Um, there's an old saying that the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And that's what I try to hear to you. If I have a challenge, no matter how big or how complex, I just simply approach it, you know, a little bite to try to break it down to a smaller um, component part and then try to accomplish that and then just keep moving forward. Um, also, um, other obstacles that I had to overcome was uh, poverty, you know, growing up in, uh, in uh, circumstances where you don't always have money for education. So I always try to take advantage of any free education that came along. Um, and um, a big turning point in my life was when I actually got a graduate fellowship as a National Urban Fellow and was able to earn a master's degree in public administration. Um, that allowed me to uh, work as a special assistant to uh, Mayor Coleman Young, the mayor of Detroit. I also uh, served as a special assistant to Mayor William Downs Shaker here in Baltimore. And I've also been a special assistant to Mayor uh, Kurt Smoke. So I've been a special assistant to three mayors and a county executive, uh, Avery Freeman in Harker County. I've had an extensive background, about 30 years of uh, service in the uh, public sector. Um, and after I did all of that, I uh, um, was the first African-American to serve as development director for the Baltimore Development Corporation. And while there, over a seven-year period, I developed over $100 million worth of real estate development projects, including the first downtown office building developed by an African-American, which is the City Crescent office building that's located at the corner of Howard and um, Baltimore Street. Um, I got into real estate um, because I realized during the Nixon administration that um, being involved in social programs um, was not enough because social programs oftentimes get cut during Republican administrations. And um, you also have to know something about bricks and mortar programs in order to sustain yourself during those political ups and downs when um, Democrats and social programs might be out of vote. Um, and so I developed an expertise in affordable housing. I served as the uh, president for the Low Income Housing uh, Coalition, was a, uh, a statewide organization of uh, nonprofit housing developers. Uh, we led the effort to develop the uh, state's apartment housing and community development, which uh, uh, after the legislature passed a uh, $55 million appropriation became the uh, first statewide housing uh, development corporation for the state of Maryland. Um, but again, life is not always been crystal clear. I did run into uh, a glass ceiling when I was at BDC. Uh, I had been hired under the consent decree, and um, when I uh, reached as far as I could go in the corporation, uh, I was blocked. Uh, I felt unfairly so uh, due to uh, both. Uh, uh, racial and other types of bias, and I filed a 
equal opportunity employment uh, complaint against them. Um, unfortunately, it didn't do much good for me, but it did open the opportunity for people who came behind me and um, they were forced to promote um, other African Americans into uh, leadership positions uh, as well as to expand uh, opportunities to include uh, more uh, women to uh, leadership roles as well. I uh, also ran into uh, opposition when I tried to apply for the Attorney General's office here in the state of Maryland uh, to become the first Attorney General to uh, serve the uh, Department of Housing and Community Development. Ironically, the department that I helped to create, I could not get a position uh, serving as an attorney to work for them because I was told I was overqualified. Um, and so again, I had to resort to filing a uh, discrimination complaint against uh, the department. Um, and it didn't benefit me, but it did open up the doors for other African-American and minority candidates who came behind me who were able to become employed. So I've always considered myself as a trailblazer or a risk taker, if you will. And um, I would encourage you also to be a, a risk taker. If someone tells you no, don't be deterred, you know, keep pushing ahead, keep forging ahead. Um, there's another saying that he who plans to fail, fails to plan. And so every five to 10 years, I try to develop a uh, plan as to where I would like to see myself going. And um, then work toward accomplishing some of those goals in those five to 10 year increments, which is how in the 25 years that I, between the time that I was a laborer at Bethlehem still, and to when I got my license to practice law, I just took successive steps that led me to my ultimate goal. Um, I always wanted to be self-employed. I think that's the highest aspiration that one can achieve in, a, in, this, in this society, in this culture, um, because you get to do what you want to do and you don't have to worry about somebody telling you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and so forth and so on. I think if a person has the ability to work 40 hours a week for someone else and make a living for himself, Imagine what you would do if you worked 40 hours a week for yourself. Um, I think that the uh, possibilities are unlimited. We need to find something that we love to do, like Mr. Hatcher did, um, work at that, and turn that hobby or that desire into a career opportunity if at all possible. Um, always continue to learn, um, take advantage of any free opportunities in education. Um, there are always uh, scholarships or certificate programs or volunteer opportunities. Um, I started off as a volunteer, which ultimately uh, got me a job working in the mayor's office. So you never know um, if you're willing to just roll up your sleeves, try to help someone else, uh, what opportunities might open up for you. Um, I'd like to recommend the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Uh, excellent book that changed my life um, outside of uh, the Bible and other scriptures. I think it's probably one of the most influential books uh, out there. Um, and um, again, I would encourage uh, everyone to consider self-employment as the ultimate goal um, and uh, turn your dreams into uh, realities, uh, your hobbies into a uh, uh, career for um, a profession. Thank you very much.
I was teaching Okay, I was teaching for a public school system, and while I really enjoyed um, bringing knowledge to young minds and introducing them to science and different concepts, what most excited me was really pushing back the frontiers of science. So I left education and I returned to school first for my master's in chemistry, and then I continued on to get my doctorate and study my work in physiology. And so what I do now, I help design vaccines, therapeutics, drugs, other pharmaceuticals um, that have the potential to benefit public health. So that's what I'm, I'm currently doing. So there are countless obstacles that I faced, um, and I don't have enough time to share with you my journey <laughs> from then until now, because a, a lot, a lot has happened. And unfortunately, there's not very many people that look like me in the field that I'm in. So being an African-American female, I served, I survived countless obstacles, many of them centering on how others define what my capabilities were, as opposed to um, thinking about my potential and what I could do. So quite often I was told that my dreams were too ambitious, or that my goals were unattainable, and that maybe I should rethink things, and let's, let's look back at this smaller project and how you could maybe focus on this. So I'm not gonna belabor that point either. Um, never stop asking questions is one thing I would say. And don't allow others to define who you are. If, you're, if there's something that you're passionate about, let that drive you forward and propel you towards what's gonna be your next step. And then also looking for advocates. If you can't find any around you, sometimes you have to be your own personal advocate, best advocate. So I'm jumping to the last section, maybe I should focus a little bit more about. There were several defining moments. Um, when I first started out, when I graduated from college, my first thought wasn't to go into um, research, biomedical research. I toyed with doing several different things. I thought about maybe becoming a medical doctor or doing dentistry. And so I took that, that time while I was teaching to really hone in and focus in, okay, what is my plan? What do I want to do over the course of the next three, five, even 10 years? And how can I impact health? If my, if my focus is on health and public health and wellness and how I can enrich others' lives, what's gonna be the best path to take me there? And so there were several different skills that were transferable all throughout my career. Being an effective communicator. So in the classroom, I can't count the students with a bunch of jargon that they don't understand. So knowing who your audience was, so that you could relay the information in a way that everybody can understand, regardless of whether you're talking to statisticians, clinicians, or a fifth grader, or a college professor. So being able to be an effective communicator. Um, also being able to organize your steps or your plans. So having strong organizational skills. I found that that was transferable regardless of which career, career I was in. Um, being able to plan out not only what was going to be done that day, but what needed to be done over the course of the week, and so on and so forth. Um, and then lastly, I guess I would say, discover what your own personal strengths are. Um, you already know what you're passionate about. And if you're doing something that you're passionate about, you're going to be excited about getting up every morning and going out to do that thing that you're, you're passionate about. And you'll, you'll bring others along with you in that journey. So. I would say focus on what precious gifts 
would actually be lost to the world if you were to allow others attempt to define who you are, limit you, as opposed to going forth and sharing your own personal gifts and talents. for Cricket Wireless. Um, I, had, I had had other um, retail jobs, but that was my first um, like full-time slash supervisor uh, role. And um, from there, I went to become um, a sales coordinator, which is an admin role, an entry-level admin role within Cricket Wireless. And then um, I went into Sherwin-Williams, which was an even larger company. And I started as part-time sales coordinator, another entry-level admin role. Um, from then, I took an assistant manager role inside the store. And then when this position opened up, uh, that led me to HR, which is the field that I want to get into, I took this role. Um, so certain obstacles uh, I had to overcome was salary. So it, when you work in retail, you work in sales positions, there's usually bonus, stipend, those kind of things. But what I was looking for was to get into um, an admin or HR role um, as far as being able to spend more time with my uh, family. And um, one of the questions was a defining moment. So a defining moment for me was when I was given no option. Um, my husband also was in that um, field, in a retail field. So both of us working those hours was just not going to work for our family. You know, we have children. And so I uh, searched and spoke to different people, um, leadership, to see what other positions were available. That's when I was introduced to the entry-level admin role in cricket. And so some of those obstacles, again, was pay. Uh, my leadership wanted to know why I was willing to put aside growing with the company um, as far as being in store, potentially having my own store and being a manager to go into the admin role. So having to explain that and um, having to explain why I didn't want to follow, I guess, what their role or routine was to move up. So um, I went into that role and it, it put me to where I want to be as far as being able to take care of my family. Um, what helped me or what influenced me was different mentors that I have in my life. So I have like a mentor for my work and to be successful. I have a mentor as far as family and what I want my family to look like. So being able to talk to them to see what their um, experiences were, examples, what worked and what didn't work. and that helps me. And so the advice that I can give people is definitely look, um, if you're working for those bigger companies, seek opportunities. A lot of these larger companies have opportunities for growth, such as Sherwin Williams. They have tuition reimbursement where they can help you. And definitely, if you have the means and the drive to go to school, definitely go to school because that opens doors so much sooner than just working your way up. Uh, 
Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Mary Washington. I'm a member of the Maryland General Assembly. I represent the 43rd Legislative District, and that's in uh, Northeast Baltimore. Uh, so um, hopefully there are some, some of my constituents here tonight, neighbors, um, and, and also just in some way I, I see all of Baltimore City as, as a, a part of my responsibility to represent Annapolis. I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, participate in this panel. Uh, thinking about my career and thinking about the path, uh, often when you're so busy, you don't really get a chance to sit down and think, well, how did I get here? And uh, I'm not quite like uh, Mr. Howard. I, I don't really have a regular sort of set where every three years I check in and see where I go. I think I use these opportunities where I have to explain or I have an opportunity to share uh, just how things, how both I've transformed my careers, but actually how each of my positions, I think in a way that transformed me and has helped me to become the person I am. So I think that there's this process where, yeah, we're trying to have this career, but also whatever you choose, we have to recognize that it's, it is shaping who I am. And I definitely believe that that, I, that, that the various jobs that, that I've had over my, my life so far have, have shaped me. Um, I think that I, I love the question of what's the story of your career, because that's different often than what we're asked to do on our resumes to make this list. And I actually think the story of you and your work in the world is a really nice way to think about it. And when we're presenting ourselves or when I present myself to various employers, I, I have had a story. Um, usually, I think one of the ways I can characterize my, my path so far is that I've created a lot of the occupations that I held, so before being a delegate. So certainly, um, one of the my very first job was working at the corner grocery store uh, when I was about 16. And I was trying very hard to get a job, and nobody uh, would hire me. And I just went to the corner store, and I said, well, you haven't had any experience. And I just said, I can't have any experience until someone gives me my first job. Uh, so give me my first job. Um, and, and so it's been that way ever since that I have felt that I have wrestled my way, conjoled, uh, argued, uh, negotiated my way into the various positions that I've, I've held over time. Um, also, I think I can characterize it by saying there are pushes and pulls. There are things that push me or push you into a new job. Uh, a contract can end. A uh, plant can close. Um, there can be life decisions about how you want to structure yourself. There, there can be these sometimes negative consequences. But there are also these things that pull you, what draws you. And what I came to understand about myself is that I enjoy challenge. I enjoy change. Um, I like a position sort of a discrete length. Um, you know, project, I'm very project oriented. I like to come in and if the messier the better, just come in whether it's a classroom. So um, I started out uh, wanting to be a teacher. I was going to be a public school teacher. Where actually my very first uh, idea was to be a veterinarian. Um, um, but there's an interesting story around that that uh, someone said, I think it was like seven, someone says, well why do you care more about animals than people? You should be a people doctor. Uh, so I, I very much relate to what you were saying about people setting their expectations about who you should be and what your passion should be and what your skill set should be. Um, and, and, and so uh, 
I'm not a veterinarian. I'm actually probably, I probably wouldn't be a good veterinarian, so that's good. Um, the other thing that I characterize about my job, or, and I think might be helpful to, to people out there, is that we often think of, or is characterized as a, uh, a career ladder. So the assumption is that there's this one ladder for you, and that you take one rung at a time, and that there's an order, and that there's this idea that there's this place where you're going to end up. And very early on, I started to think about, well, there are multiple ladders, right? There are multiple, like, we're all talented. We can all do many things. So early on, I made the deal with myself that, okay, um, I'm going to take this ladder metaphor, but if I can make more money, I'll climb up the rung. Or if I can get more experience or be challenged, I'm willing to make a lateral move. So I sort of said to myself, I'll, I'll try and then, or sometimes if, if the step back will allow you to get onto another ladder and then move up, that that's okay. So, you know, if you think about like Donkey Kong, <laughs> you know, some of us, the people in my age said, it's like, well, sometimes you gotta back up and you jump over the barrel and you go over here and you just kind of work that way. And so um, the, the obstacles, you know, besides being an out African-American woman uh, in a society where there's homophobia and racism and, and then sexism and, and, and all the isms, uh, I think personally, communication style, I think uh, evaluating and thinking about how I communicate, um, I, I come to understand that I can talk fast, I have to slow down, uh, sometimes I don't communicate my moves that people might be willing to move along with me or if I'm managing people, um, I tend to just move and not really say where I'm going. Uh, and that can be something to work out. If, if you want to work with people, which I, all in all my positions, I've worked with people and I enjoy people, uh, which is in part why I moved out of being a research scientist. So I was going to be a professor. I got my PhD at Hopkins. I'm supposed to be a quantitative sociologist, uh, and my dissertation was late 19th century population statistics and demography. You know, I was going to spend my life talking to the same 20 people <laughs> across the world, and we write papers and have a good time and contribute, but I found that I actually wanted to find a way that, to apply what I, what I do, and I, I need and, and like being involved with people. Uh, so there's a kind of impatience and uh, a, I'm going to not say that I'm easily uh, distracted, but more of that I have a wide range of interests. I have a broad por portfolio of capabilities. Um, and so I know that those of you that might have resumes that have a lot of different things on it, sometimes you are given the advice of, well, you shouldn't, you should try to make it seem like you have this single path. But that gets in, back into the story. Like writing the, the story and thinking about what your story is and finding the value in that story and sharing that value with, with other people. Um, I Early on, I was influenced by or, or felt a connection to a, a Charles Schultz uh, quote, which I think it was Linus who said, there's no greater burden than great potential. I mean, there's always people wanting to tell you, well, why are you teaching in a public school? You have such great potential. Or why are you an elected official? You have such great potential. You're, you're a good person. Why are you doing these things? Um, so people have these assumptions about what the occupation is, uh, and they don't necessarily connect with the joy that you have in it. Uh, my influences are my parents and Zora North Person. 
Uh, my mom was, was a nurse, um, and uh, she uh, went to nursing school in a time when uh, there was the colored nursing school, and there was the, she's in North Carolina, and there was the nursing school for whites. Uh, she, she graduated at a time when it, that system was just starting to break apart in the late 50s and got recruited to move up to Philadelphia, took a chance and moved up to Philadelphia um, and started a career of nursing in the North. That's where she met my dad. And, and my mom is always, what I've learned from her, is she's always had a job. She's always, um, she's always been a nurse, some type of nurse. My dad was more mercurial. I come up with creative ways to talk about uh, people that have various paths. And so he had a lot of jobs and went back to college and would do different things. And there were gaps in employment, but he was a respiratory therapist. He was trained as a professional, but he went in and out of the workforce in that kind of way. But he never stopped working. And I think that that's also something I'd like to share. If you're not, just because you don't have, you're not employed doesn't mean you're not working. Um, and that certainly was the case with my, he worked with us. I benefited from, this was before there was, it was acceptable to be mommy, dad, mom, or mommy, daddy, or something like that. Um, that, that, you know, it was acceptable for men to be home with the kids, you know. So he had the part-time jobs, and my mom was the primary earner. But it was before that. But I got to be raised a lot, spent a lot of time with my dad. And um, I think that that was a wonderful thing, because I learned how to talk with people. I learned how to try different things, and, and that was really great. Uh, Zoilina Hurston was an influence because I learned that she was an anthropologist as well as a writer. Uh, and I learned about that at the time when I was in graduate school, and I was in Johns Hopkins, and I was struggling being the only, uh, like every four years they accepted an African-American PhD student. At that time, I, I don't say we graduated, but the, every four years there was, one person maybe, um, and at the time there were no one uh, in, as part of the tenured faculty. Um, so uh, connecting and seeing, wow, she wasn't just a writer, which their eyes were watching God, of course, and, and a number of things are great, but she was an anthropologist as well. And uh, one of the things that uh, she said that I connected to is that I love myself when I'm laughing, and then again when I'm looking mean and impressive. And that connected to what my mom would often say, is that I may laugh and joke, but I don't play. And so it was kind of like, hey, there's these ways in which I can be myself in the world, but don't misinterpret being good uh, for being easy or allowing yourself to be discounted. Um, and then there were three, there were th there's tons of Zora Neale Hurston quotes, but uh, she's just great. If you're not, if you're not into Zora Neale Hurston, get on it. Also, Audre Lorde and Octavia Butler, both really creative, great writers and can give uh, a lot of us in this room just a really a good way of thinking about ourselves and, and, and how to reframe ourselves and, 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 and to understand who we really are. And then there were three defining moments, and I think I'll, I'll end with that. Um, the first was I was uh, in between, I was in college, but in between, I was taking a break. Uh, it took me nine years to get my undergraduate because I would just do different things. I had lots of labs. I was <laughs> negotiating even then. And I, uh, I was working at this steak shop and it was the late night shift and I was mopping the floor and my boss was coming over and was complaining about that I had missed something in the corner. 
Uh, and rather than throw the mop at her, I decided to, that, you know, I don't want to be in this position. I, I, I shouldn't be in this position. I, I can absolutely finish college, just get back in there and just finish it. So I did that. And that's where I started that path of getting certified to be a teacher um, and then look at how to be a, a public school teacher. Uh, and, and I could think about it as kind of my um, a Scarlett O'Hara moment. Uh, um, and, and then the second time was when I decided to jump off the tenure track, uh, publish or perish. And that was very hard because so much of my identity, going, going up for those 10 years, getting the dissertation, um, getting a tenure track position, just that was who I was. And, and to jump off of that because that wasn't what was, making, was gonna make me happy. And that was actually not what I was best at. I was great at the teaching, great at the project creation, great at the inspiring the young people to do more, I think. Um, but uh, I, th I realized I could do that in another way. Um, and then finally, uh, the moving from being an analyst of the state um, and working at nonprofits at various projects, I, I decided that, uh, you know, I, I would like to be in a position to not only advocate for communities, uh, not only work to create programs, but be in a position to vote for those things. Be in a position to stand on the floor of the Maryland House of Delegates and be one of 141 people that are, that are demanding fairness for unaccompanied homeless youth, uh, for workforce development, for libraries, for, for uh, sickle cell testing, for you know, all of these things that government uh, can support. I wanted to be in a position to be able to do that. Um, and so that was a risk because the first time that I ran, I was not successful. So that was really, that's a blow. Uh, but then I decided to, to do that again. Um, I'll, I'll share the advice later because I, I, I'm taking, I took 10 minutes and, and I, but um, I really appreciate this opportunity to really think through what I've been doing and to, to share with you. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say. all very much. We have a little time now for a question and answer, and then we'll have an informal talking where the panelists can talk with all of us. So does anyone have a question for all the panelists? Uh, yes. Uh, you said the book Thank and Crowbridge. Who was the author? Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill? Yes, ma'am. And you said Miss uh, uh, Washington, uh, your mother was an anthropologist? My, my mother was a nurse, but Zora Neale Hurston uh, was an anthropologist. So she's a writer, an anthropologist, um, was very involved with the Harlem Renaissance period, uh, went to Harvard, uh, did research in Haiti, was traveling, and just did so much, uh, and uh, just is underread and undervalued as a, as, a, as, a science, as a social scientist. She helped your mother? She helped me think about my work. You said that you were a school teacher. How long were you a school teacher before you decided to do the transition? Because I've been there and you did it for a year. I have to say that it's that transition is hard because you don't want to leave the young people. Right. But it's you get burned out really quick. 
But I think the transition from going from middle school, I mean, for me, it was going from middle school to doing something else. But I was just curious how long you taught before you decided yeah. to make that change. Yeah. High school. High school. High school. And just I did. I, I left that. I taught kindergarten for one year. Oh, did you? And just yes, yes. And um, and I was fully expecting to to continue to do it, but I had an experience with a couple students where I felt I really wanted to be a part of making the systems better and understand them better. And that's when I decided to do my graduate work. That's when I decided to do my PhD. You know, beyond the plus sixty that you needed to get the next bump. I said, you know, let me go back to graduate school, and then I, I, that's what I focused on at Hopkins, was the sociology of education and, and really how we can change and make those systems better. Um, I, sorry. Um, I, I did that, when I walked away from it, and I worked for Sherman Williams also, but now I feel like it's pulling me back. You know, like you said, your passion, go back to that passion because um, make it work for you. So now I feel it, like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. So I feel like now my connections, I need to get back to young people because that's where it is for me. Yeah, because what I didn't say was the time in between and the other things that were done and how yeah. I came. Yeah, because it wasn't a, please, it wasn't a straight path from oh, college to a doctor. No, there were, there were stops along the way. There were odd jobs. I worked for a year in a doctor's office um, while I decided, okay, am I going to do graduate school or am I going to do uh, medicine? So I took that time, I figured if I worked in a doctor's office, I'd see better hands-on, perhaps, what this profession entails, and this is really something that I wanted to pursue. So there were, there were stops along the way. Um, but yeah, like you said, getting back, getting back to your passion. And then at Hopkins, I can, I, I would talk to my doctor as well, and there were not, there, I was, there were not very many people that looked like me <laughs> in my program. And um, in terms of every year, that, that number didn't increase. In fact, I even tried to get statistics on, okay, so can you just tell me how many African Americans have matriculated through, through my program, not even throughout the school, and I'm still waiting for a response on, on those numbers. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah. Sorry, now, you're interested in your track. Did you go to college right from the factory, or did, did, were there some other things along the way before you started? Oh yeah, they were, that's why I started off saying that life is not always a crystal stair. Yeah, there were a lot of um, uh, back and forth things I had to do. Um, when I um, I actually had earned five degrees, I had two of social arts degrees, a bachelor's, a master's, and a law degree, and uh, a bunch of certificates along the way. So every time somebody offered some free education, I would sign up for it. Uh, and, um, Originally, I, I um, decided to focus on my advocacy, which was affordable housing and uh, developing expertise in bricks and mortar. And that led me to commercial real estate development, which led me to the Gulf Coast Development Corporation, and ultimately um, being able to uh, serve as an advocate for all of the nonprofits in the state of Maryland. I really enjoyed all the advice from, from all the panelists today. Um, Kevin Hatcher, that's my husband and he's my inspiration. But I admire him. He was able to retire from the seat 
and he's doing something that he really loves. He loves his passion, which is massage therapy. So meanwhile, every day I'm still going to work while he's resting. So. <laughs> but, but it's driven me to a point I realize I, I love the profession of it. I'm also a nurse. I've been doing this for about 35 years. You know, Lord is blessed, but I don't know how much longer I can go that route doing that full time. So this position came available and I applied for it. And out of about 30 candidates, I got this job. Well, I got this job and I realized that the kind of nursing I was doing was more like clinic nursing. So this job was actually very intense nursing. So I said, wow, how am I gonna do this? And in the back of my mind, I said, you know what, I'm gonna have to go to school. I'm gonna take some courses. I'm gonna have to do something that costs money. But I like the fact that you said, let an opportunity come. And the opportunity came, I got the job. So they are sending me to classes at Howard County Hospital of course, all the people in the classes, a lot of them are new friends, and these nurses really ready to roll, and here I am, like my age, and I'm like, wow, I gotta keep up. <laughs> so, and I'm also um, oriented in the intensive care unit, and they're all looking at me saying, uh, tell me why you want to do all this. <laughs> Usually you get to a point where you start wanting to wind down. Well, I said, you know what, I like what I'm doing. I want to really continue to go up the ladder. So I like it. She said, you may go sideways, you may go up, you may go sideways. There's a lot of study that I'm doing at night. At my age, the bells are still going off. So I will see a lot of perseverance. And you can do anything, like all of you said, that you put your mind to do.
that's the only thing that sustained me. That's the only thing that kept me. My, my parents, my family, my sisters, I didn't mention them, but they were, they were very much a source of inspiration to me. And my father and his, his own sacrifice. He wanted to pursue uh, further graduate studies. He had his master's. He wanted to pursue his doctorate. But he had a family. He had all of us. So he, he stayed where he was, and he instead accepted a position so that he could provide for his family instead of pursuing his own educational goals. So I, I thought about his own experience and what he, what he went through, what he encountered. And I thought about my others, um, other scientists, Catherine Johnson, many others, you know, hidden figures that has become more prominent now, but for years people didn't know her contributions. And I thought about that and I said, okay, I want to be able to be a witness. So if I lose my cool, I'm not sure how well received when I come back and want to share some nuggets of truth and wisdom with them that will be well received. And I just tried to carry myself in a way where my work would be a testament and how I live my life would be a testament. So I didn't have to convince anyone of anything. I just continued to walk through the doors that I felt God opened for me. So that's that's really what sustained me. Well, if I, if, if oh, I may, sure. yeah, I'd love to. I'm sure all of us could have something to, to say about that. Well, for me, because I shared earlier what my instinct was, and I kept myself from doing that. I I, I would work. I worked through it. In other words. Um, I did have that value around anti-not violence, and I was raised to uh, turn the other cheek um, and all that. Um, but also, I also found that I needed to figure out how to fight back. And I think that's also how I've grown into my ability, just making the decision to be an elected official who fights and stands for people who can't do it. It's practice. It's 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 you have. To I had to figure out how I could do it, how I could speak, name it, speak to it, um, keep my job, maybe not, and I didn't always, I will say that, um, but, but, but here I am today in a place where I feel really good and blessed to be a blessing to others and to receive those, some of those myself. So I think there's that way there is the holding it down, that that's what you're able to do and that it can go away because it doesn't really matter. But it depends on who you are. If it's some, it is in there, just fi finding a way for it to turn into something else. So I got really good at um, sometimes uh, sort of sta restating what the person said and kind of having them hear that. Uh, or I found kind of creative ways to sort of comment back to them. And sometimes I created these little bubbles in my head where I was saying these things. I didn't actually say it, but I, I said it. Uh, and I sometimes had dreams where I was doing things that I would, you know, find that release. I've written notes and things, really nasty letters back at people, but get it out. Uh, and, and then uh, now I have people say, how can you sit and listen to that? practicing. <laughs> I'm an African-American woman in America and I've been practicing at how to not get hypertension and I, I'm, I am plump so I, I still do that but to, to allow me to be a force in the world for myself and for others. But you've got to find that way for you and it's actually fun when you can get it and you can figure out how to, not fun fun, but having the 
Empowering. Yeah, thank you for that word. Yeah. Empowering. Also, it shocks a lot of them right. when you when, when you, you reframe the conversation. Because I, I don't want to imply as if I just sat down and I just took it. I didn't. Think sometimes that was it was. <laughs> sometimes it was coming back with, okay, so you're saying this. So I'm I'm making the assumption these assumptions based on what you said and outlining essentially saying back to them uh, with my own paraphrase what they had told me. So so what you're telling me is that. It wouldn't be a good idea to pursue this because A, B, C, D, E, and F. And then as, you, as I reframe the conversation, it's almost as if a light went off like, oh, well, I see how this could have been perceived. And then sometimes it was backpedaling, sometimes it was a, it turned into a more thought-provoking conversation because now I've come back to you and I've said, okay, so you outlined this, but I think there's another way to approach this. So, so don't, don't allow don't allow others to diminish your own sense of self-worth and, and what you bring to the table. Don't allow them to define who you are. Always think of a way that you can reframe the conversation and, and use it as an opportunity to teach and to maybe even sometimes learn something um, some, from, from someone else's perspective. So. And the laws are your side. I, remember I was a college student. One of my jobs, I was applying to be a dishwasher. <laughs> I had lots of jobs. And uh, you had to carry these big, heavy rubber things at the end of the night, and you had to, and I was being interviewed, and he said to me, he says, well, there's a lot of heavy things, and women don't usually do this job, and blah, blah. I mean, this is like 1982 or something. And so I remembered my sociology classes, and I said, are you saying you're not giving me this job because I'm a woman? And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I got the job. Now, of course, two weeks later, I was like, oh my God, And thankfully, 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 the, um, the sous chef quit one night, and I was like, I can cook, so I, I got promoted <laughs> on the field promotion. But guess what? Do you know who got that job after me? Another woman, an African American woman, got that job after me. And so that's pretty, you never know. You never know. You're opening a door for yourself. But you are, you've changed, like, it changed the way they thought about that job. So that's, that's the win. That's where you're like, okay. I would echo that. That was my experience. I grew up in the generation right after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So we were the first to knock down a lot of doors. Um, opportunities opened up um, as a result of that. But being the first is not always what is cracked up to because um, you know, you're not only there representing yourself, but you also have to represent your race. And so if you blow up, you might close the opportunity for some person coming behind you. So you always have to comport yourself as a role model, not just for yourself, but for your race. And that's the additional burden that oftentimes that we carry um, as minorities when we go into majority firms. Um, the thing you have to take with you is take your faith with you. You know, even though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear of you for God is with you. You know? And sometimes it's just you and God. That's all. And um, there were times um, when, you know, the only thing I could fall back on was my faith and prayer. Because there was nobody else who I could turn to, no one who could help me with my situation. And you just simply, you know, remember the things that your parents taught you, you know, um, the virtues that they shared with you, 
you pick yourself up and you continue to press forward. Because if you don't, what alternative do you have? You know, it's to quit and go back and be defeated. And that's never a good one. You know, I never wanted to live my life being the person to say, well, if I would, you should have could. There are people all the time say, you know, I wanted to be a woman, but I didn't, you know, want to go to law school. Well, going to law school at night is no piece of cake, but you can't be a lawyer if you don't go to law school. <laughs> and that period of time, that four or five years it takes to go to law school, it's going to go by whether you go to law school or not. So you can look back and say, well, five years from now or four years from now, I did it. Or you could be one of the persons that said, I wish I could have it. You know, don't be that person. You know, be in charge of your life, take charge of your life, and do the things that you want to do with your life. And don't be deterred by what somebody else thinks about what you should or should not be doing. I think it's also important that um, when you're moving to a career change, um, you have to forgive yourself for your past. Um, if you're not able to do that, it, it makes moving forward almost impossible. Right. So you have to forgive yourself. You know, sometimes we look back on situations and think that I should have said this or I should have done that. And I, I like the other panelists up here. I've had many of those times in my career, which is one of the reasons why I changed careers. Because now I work for me. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's also the best and worst thing that you can do is work for yourself. <laughs> best thing to work for yourself because as a friend of mine once said, um, it helps you to eat. <laughs> it's a great motivating factor working for yourself. It forces you to work hard. The other side of it is when you work for yourself, if you're not careful, you tend to put things off. And so you you, you have that you, you have to have people in your life, and I'm convinced of this, you have to have people in your life who love you but are not impressed by it. Yes. <laughs> if you don't have that, you're, when you become your number one fan, your number one um, supporter, when everything is about you, and we see that being played out now mm -hmm. on a national level. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, when it's about you, then you can't grow. And I'm glad to hear everybody up here say that they believe in something that's greater than themselves. Because that's what's going to push you forward. Believe me, I'm in a profession where, like I said, I see me way down the road. It might be somebody else that's an African-American male. And maybe that might be about it. But I, that fuels me to be as great as I can be in this profession. It really does. And, um, I, I'm, I'm privileged to work in it. I really am. I love what I do, and I love the fact that people come in to be stressed out like this, and they need calm. Yes. Hi. I just wanted to say thank you all for coming. Um, I think one one thing that's kind of interesting is besides others sometimes saying you can't do that and having you push past that. It's, it's wonderful seeing you just show that inspiration of just doing your thing that inspires everyone else. Plus, too, another thing I heard of that was interesting, too, they were saying that even in our physiology, sometimes there's stuff where we have 
you know, instead of pushing and doing stuff we want to do, sometimes there's something that kind of like puts on the brakes and we have to push forward through. So you all sharing what you share that all gives us inspiration for that. Thank you. We could take a couple more very quick questions. We want to have some time to have a few refreshments and to just talk casually. And also, one more plug, if you can please fill out the evaluation form because we want to show uh, what you like, what we could have done better, and whether we should have these type of programs in the future. So we could just take a couple more very quick questions. I think you should have this program. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else have another question? Okay, then we can just uh, have some refreshments. And thank you very much thank to the so panelists. Thank you. Thank you. podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.